0: This is uh, the month of, of Thanksgiving, the month where, uh, in, in America at least, we, we celebrate. Uh, we are much more mindful of, of Thanksgiving and, and giving thanks. I, I do have a friend um, who uh, we have a running joke with her because she's like from the very far northern part of North Dakota uh, to the point like her family will run across the Canadian border uh, to pick up donuts from Timmy Hortons. Uh, and everything, so we joke with her that she's Canadian. We no longer make those jokes on Facebook, because uh, her mom got really mad one time at me, um, and was like, she's not Canadian! Um, so uh, we don't do that on Facebook anymore. Um, but uh, their Thanksgiving was in October, uh, I think it was October 12th, so I sent her a happy Thanksgiving uh, message back in October, and uh, she told me to be quiet in not-so-nice terms, um, and everything. But then November is the real Thanksgiving, uh, it, it's, it's our month for Thanksgiving, and, and so getting to, to preach um, uh, on Thanksgiving uh, during this month is, is really cool. It's, it's, it's an honor, but in, in our culture, in our society today, uh, most of the year, we're, we're not very grateful. Uh, we're, we're not very thankful uh, in, in this world today, uh, and so that's one of the things we're going to look at. One of the things we're going to talk about is, is trying to be thankful uh, always. Uh, to, to always be giving thanks uh, and giving thanks to the Lord. So uh, Psalm 118 uh, is a group of psalms between Psalm 113 and 118 uh, called the Egyptian Hallel. And, uh, and Hallel means uh, praise. In uh, Egyptian, uh, the reason they call them name the Egyptian Hallel Psalms uh, is not because they were written in Egypt or anything, but because of their close connection with uh, the, the Passover feast. Uh, the, the time of Passover, uh, the, these songs were often sung uh, as uh, pilgrims were, were going to Jerusalem uh, for Passover as they were uh, celebrating Passover and going through the different uh, rituals and events uh, and everything during that, that Passover time. Uh, and so they are referred to as the Egyptian Hallel. Uh, we, we believe that uh, the, the Psalms made up the hymn Uh, that Jesus and the disciples sang uh, after the Last Supper. Uh, We're told in in Matthew that that after the meal was over and after Jesus had spoken, that they sang a hymn uh, before they left to go to the Mount of Olives uh, and to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that uh, these Passover uh, psalms would have been uh, what they were singing, giving thanks uh, to the Lord. Um, And and as we'll discuss later, there's a a particular part in here that, that points to Jesus uh, that is uh, kind of cool, the fact that he sang it uh, as he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested. Uh, but Psalm 118 can be broken up into three major sections, and so that's kind of how we're going to look at it today, with uh, the, the middle section being the largest and uh, made up of several smaller sections, and we'll we'll take a look at those kind of individually uh, as we go on. Uh, and so the psalm opens with a uh, call to worship, and so read with me, uh, verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 118. I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his faithful love endures forever. And, and so this psalm opens with a, a familiar call to worship in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, give Thanks to the Lord for His good, His faithful love, His steadfast love—depending uh, on your translation—endures uh, forever. And, and and so this call to worship is used uh, several times. It's in Psalm 106, uh, Psalm 107, and, and Psalm 136. It's First Chronicles 16 includes this call, uh, and Second Chronicles chapters five, seven, and twenty include this this same call uh, to come and worship the Lord God. Uh, for he is good, and his faithful love endures forever. And so we're called to worship, and the reason that we're called to worship, the reason that the singer calls us to worship God is because he's good. God is good because of his character, because of who he is and what he's done. Uh, Exodus 34.6 tells us uh, that the Lord is merciful, that the Lord is gracious, that the Lord is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so the, the singer uh, worships God and he calls us to worship God because of God's goodness, because of who he is, because of his character. We're also called to worship God because of his hesed. And hesed is a Hebrew word that we typically translate as, uh, as love or steadfast love, enduring love, uh, it just kind of depending on the, the, the context. Of that passage. And so it carries with it the idea of a love, of a, of a mercy, of a loyalty that endures, um, that is forever, that is, uh, it doesn't end, it doesn't fade, it, it doesn't change, it never wavers, it is firm, it is a, a strong, enduring love. And so the singer, the, the psalmist calls us to worship God because of his goodness and because of his steadfast, enduring love. Verses 2 through 4 of the psalm are are calling all of the people of God, all those who fear uh, God, to to call out with one voice that God's love is forever, that it is enduring. And so this entreaty to call out about God's enduring love is repeated three times. And and in the Hebrew world, the number three is the number of completeness and it's the number of stability. And, And so Uh, It's a reminder, it's an emphasis that all of God's people are to cry out in worship of him because of his complete and total love and goodness. The same three groups of people are mentioned in one of the other Egyptian Hallels in in Psalm 115, 9 through 11, and there they are told to trust the Lord their God. Uh, And so we are to trust God and we are to worship him, all of God's people, uh, all those who fear him, all those who follow him, we are called to worship him because of his goodness and because of his love. And so after, uh, after this opening uh, call to worship, we have, uh, we, we have a story or stories of God's uh, faithfulness, of his uh, enduring love that the psalmist uh, shares with us. And, uh, and so we're going to, to walk through each of those uh, sections of verses Uh, as we go through, and and, and the first one is verses 5 through 7, and it says, I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me and and so we we believe that this is a, is kind of a, there's an inciting incident in the psalmist's uh, life that that causes him to uh, give thanks to the lord to, that causes him to remember the lord's goodness uh, and his kindness and his in, in enduring love and and, and causes him to, uh, to to sing praise and to worship god and, and it's a time of distress uh, it, it's a time where he found himself in uh, narrow straits. He was, his enemies were closing in around him, preparing to, to cut him off, preparing to uh, destroy him. Uh, he had no hope, uh, no hope of deliverance, no hope of salvation, and yet in that moment, in, in those dire moments, in his distress, he cries out to God, and God answers him. And not only did God answer him, but God removed him from those narrow straits. He, he removed him from the presence of his enemies and put him in a, a spacious place, a broad, open place. And some of your translations may say that, uh, that God uh, set him free. And, and, and that's right. That's correct. That God set him free from his enemies. But that Hebrew word means a broad and open place. It means a spacious place. And so he goes from the being uh, to this confined, narrow place where he's surrounded, where he's cut off, and God has put him in a a new place. God has put him in an open, beautiful, spacious place, firmly surrounded, firmly bounded around by God's love and by his goodness. He has been delivered. He is in a place where now he feels secure, where now he feels free in the Lord. This story that we we see in verses 5-7, through it's a very personal one a very intimate one uh, for the psalmist, because it, at least in English translations, in, in these uh, three verses, we, we find a, about 11 uses of first-person pronouns, like I, me, all right? It, it's used this time because this is a story uh, that, that actually happened to the psalmist. Uh, so often, whenever we, we, we hear stories, or we tell stories, or, or we hear of God moving we hear of God working its, its second and third and fourth and fifth-hand knowledge. We, we read about it in a, in a book or a devotion of something happening, happening decades or even uh, centuries ago, and, and it seems distant, and, and it seems far off, and it seems like, man, it'd be really awesome for, for, for me to like, have experienced that and, and hear the psalmist is saying, no, 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 God did this for me. God delivered me he was there for me he says the lord is for me i will not be afraid the lord is my helper this is a personal story because we do not worship a god who is distant we do not worship a god who is far off who is uncaring our god is not a god who created things and then just set it to spinning and walked away and just left things kind of to fall where they may. No, our our God is personal. He is close. He is um, imminent. He is intimate with us. He desires to be close to us, and He desires for us to draw close to Him. He is always by us. He is always with with us, leading us, guiding us, dwelling uh, with us, helping us, delivering us. And this is such a beautiful truth. This is such a comforting truth in, in a world where so often we feel isolated and so often we feel alone, this truth that God is always for us and he is always with us. God delivers the psalmist from these narrow straits. And the psalmist looks out in triumph over those that hate him, over his enemies. He knows that God is on his side. He knows that man can do nothing to him because God, because Yahweh, the God who is and was and will be is on his side, is for him, and the Lord has delivered him from his enemies. The next the next set of, of verses that we find here uh, are, are these better than statements in, in verses 8 and 9. I, and these Uh, These statements are similar to what we would find in the Proverbs. And it says, uh, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. And some of your translations will, in that last line will will read, uh, than to trust in princes. And so we see here the psalmist is reminding the hearers of this song that it is better to trust in the Lord. It is better to seek and to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man, and not just in man, not just in a normal person, but in princes, in rulers, in in those in power and in authority in this world. Many people in authority in this world are, are good. They're loving and they're caring and they're looking out for the best interests of those around them. But there are also many who are not. They, they, they don't care about others. They don't love others. They're looking out for themselves. They're looking out for what they can get. And so it is futile. It is hopeless. It is foolish. It is even sinful to place our hope in the world and the rulers and institutions of this world over and above the Lord God Almighty. And so politicians, politics, laws, amendments, courts, rulings, elections, none of these things can save you. None of these things can truly deliver you. They will fail. They will fail you at some point. They do not endure. They cannot endure. Only the Lord, only the Lord's love and mercy is steadfast and enduring forever. And so the psalmist encourages us, the psalmist reminds us to place our hope, to place our trust in the one who does not change, in the one who is forever, who has always been and always will be. And and how does the psalmist know this? How can he tell us that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than than to trust in men and princes and, and authority and institutions? It's because he's experienced it personally. It's because he's been through it as we, we read in, in verses 5-7, through seven, and, and as we'll continue to see throughout the rest of this psalm, this is a personal experience. He, he's gone through this, and so he can with confidence say, look, don't trust in this world. Don't put your trust in man. Don't put your trust in these things. Put your trust, seek your refuge and your rest. In the Lord, because I've experienced it firsthand. The next set of uh, verses, um, starting in verse uh, 10 through 12, uh, the the psalmist talks about uh, the enemies who have surrounded him. And he says, All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me in the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. And and here again, the psalmist finds himself in trouble. He finds himself in distress. And he says it's like being surrounded by bees or or by a wildfire. And both of those sound pretty awful to me. Um, Neither one of those are ideal uh, circumstances. And and maybe, especially the bees, I think it might be because when I was uh, younger, like maybe eight, nine, something. Like that, I, got by, I got stung by, I almost said a bit, um, stung by a couple of bees uh, in, in our yard. And, and the day that I got stung, um, a friend of my parents uh, was, was over, uh, and I can't remember if he smoked cigarettes or if he dipped tobacco. All right, but, but either way, and look, I don't know if this actually works, but this is what he did, and this is what my parents allowed him to do. Uh, to their child, Um, was he took the tobacco, he put it in his mouth to make like a paste, and then he put it on the bee stings to take the sting away. And so I'm not sure if this is a legitimate thing or if it's like a psychological thing where you're so grossed out by somebody's tobacco that's been in their mouth, now on your skin, that you just don't think about the pain anymore. Um, I'm not sure either way, it's gross. Whether it it actually is effective or not, it's gross and it's kind of disgusting. And like thinking back on it now, I'm like, Mom, Dad, why did you let him do that? Um, And uh, but so I I got a thing with bees. Um, I had a bad experience one time, uh, and also, but yeah, um, but it it sounds awful to me. And or maybe bees aren't a big problem for you. uh, And so maybe uh, Jeff, we got this picture. Um, So maybe like this is for you, this is like surrounded by your enemies. This is Indiana Jones, and those are all snakes, all those kind of shiny, curly things, and those are all snakes. And he's like in a pit where he cannot get out of it, and he's surrounded by snakes. And so maybe for you, this is a better image of of being surrounded by your enemies. Uh, I had Megan read through my sermon, and I did not tell her this slide was in here. Um, she cannot stand snakes, and uh, I don't think she was very thrilled with me uh, when she got to this, um, when she got to this picture, I was just like watching her, as she was reading, as she was reading, and they flipped it, um, but uh, she still loves me, thankfully, I have that to be thankful for, but uh, so j- yeah, we, back to the, I don't want anybody to have flashbacks or uh, have a panic attack looking at the snakes. Um but what, what, whatever it is, whatever the the the, the enemy is, whatever you, it causes you distress, where you feel like you were surrounded, whomever the enemy is, the psalmist is surrounded. He he says multiple times that he's been surrounded by his enemies, but three times he says that in the name of the Lord he destroyed them. That in the name of the Lord he he fended them off. He was. Free now. Now, if if someone's not careful, they can take this verse or other verses like it out of context and and claim that, that all you have to do is is say or, or claim the name of the Lord or something along those lines, and and you'll destroy your uh, all of your enemies. You'll be victorious over your uh, enemies. It's kind of uh, it's like the folks who who like to claim uh, Matthew four nine. There was actually a church sign one time where. They, they put Matthew 4.9 out on their church sign. And, and here's what Matthew 4.9 says. It, um, uh, it, it says, if you bow down and worship me, uh, I, I will give you all that you see. And that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds fantastic, right? You know, just bow down and worship, and God's going to give me all of this stuff? Well, the problem is, is they don't read Matthew 4.8, uh, because in Matthew 4.8, uh, it's Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness, and Satan is saying to Jesus, "If you bow down and worship me, I will give you like all of these kingdoms uh, that you see." Because Satan had taking them up to a high mountain or something. You know, so. It's you know, don't don't quote Satan um, as your life verse. Um, I don't I don't feel like we should have to like say that. But again, like some church somewhere, put that on their church sign out by the road. Bow down and worship Him, and I will give you or worship me, and I will give you all that you see. Like just. Don't don't be that person, um, quoting Satan for your life verse. But, but it's it can be easy, right, to 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 take some of these out of context because we read you read just those verses and it he says I destroyed them I destroyed my enemies three times he says I in the name of the Lord I destroyed them and, and look as a young child like I thought this is how it worked like if I had a, if I was having a nightmare I thought a nightmare was coming. I just thought if I just said, in the name of Jesus, over and over and over and over, like, in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that the nightmare would stop or would not come. And I, and I thought that's how it worked. Well, here's the, Like, I always had the nightmare. Like, it, it, it came. And, and it, it's, not about, um, it, it's not about having a chant or having a saying or, or there being a ritual or, or magic words, but because... At that point, that's about us and what we have done. That's about us overcoming our enemies. And that's not what, that's bad theology. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. And so we have to be careful when we're reading Scripture. We have to be careful if we just see like one or two verses thrown up on a slide or a picture or somebody's crocheted or something, um, there a lot of ladies in my church growing up did like the crocheting um, and stuff like that. And there's verses every. You have to be careful. Like, go read the context of what it is. Because if we do, we'll see that, we'll, we'll see, and we don't see it in our English translations very well, but it, it'll become abundantly clear in the next set of verses that it, it's not just he was like, in the name of Jesus, and like charged into battle with a sword and, and won a great victory we see that what he actually did is he called out to God for help. And that it was Yahweh that delivered him. That it was God who did the work. That it was God who destroyed his enemies and not the psalmist. It is not you that achieves victory and triumph over your enemies. It is God who does it for us. So we see that in this next set of verses in uh, verses 13 through 18. It says, they pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly, I will not die, but I will live, and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. And so here we see the psalmist recognizes and acknowledges that it is the Lord who has saved him. It is the Lord who has delivered him from the enemies that had surrounded him and were ready to destroy him. And so again, he, he worships God freely. He worships God passionately because of the personal experiences of God delivering him from his enemies, the, the personal experiences of what God has done for him in his life. And so these verses here, especially verses 14 through 16, they, they echo the song sung by Moses and by Miriam and the people of Israel in, in Exodus after God had delivered them from the Egyptians after they had crossed through the Red Sea. And, and in that story, God has brought them out of captivity and slavery in Egypt, and they've gone and they're encamped on the shore of the Red Sea. And, and Pharaoh's heart, is, we're told, is, is hardened again, and he, he calls out his army and his chariots, and they come to, to destroy the Israelites. And the Israelites find themselves backed up against the water, with nowhere to go, and the enemy coming at them. And what does God do? God makes a way. And so God stands between them and the Egyptians, and he parts the water for the Israelites. And they cross on dry ground, and as they get to the other side, the, the Egyptians, God lets the Egyptians through and onto that dry ground, and he brings the water crashing down, and he destroys the enemies of his people. He destroys the Egyptian army, and so Moses and the people of Israel are standing there watching in triumph as their enemies are destroyed by God. That God has saved them from a a situation they could not save themselves from. There was no way that if the Israelites were like, hey, we're going to see if we can fight this out, there's no way that they are victorious. There is no way that they triumph, and so they call out to God. Moses calls out to God. Actually, the, the, the people of Israel, like they're like, hey, like you brought us out here to die? But, like, they're kind of upset at Moses and God. But Moses calls out to God, and God hears and responds and delivers the people, and they sing this song of praise. They sing the song of thanksgiving to God for his deliverance. And so the psalmist in 118 is echoing back to that song of how the, the Lord has heard them and how the Lord has delivered him from his enemies. In verse 17, the the psalmist tells us that he will live and proclaim what the Lord has done, that he will proclaim the good works, that he will proclaim the goodness, the, the, the enduring love of God because God did not let him die at the hands of his enemies. And so he will remember and he will declare the good works of the Lord. So we need, to, we need to remember, as God does things in our lives, as He moves in our lives, as He delivers us, we need to declare that to those around us. We need to declare what the Lord has done in us and what the Lord has done for us because He is our salvation. He is our strength. He is our song that we are to sing. Verse 18 says, The Lord disciplined me, severely, but, but did not give me over to death. So the Lord disciplined him. And so I, uh, I empathize with this uh, because I was disciplined a good bit as a child. Um, so here's the thing. I was a really good kid in public. Okay, Like in public, like I was the kid at church that the other church kids hated because their parents were like, why can't you just act like that little Schaefer boy? Um, and everything, he's so sweet, he's so nice, you know, like I was that, but at home it was a little different, all right, Um, actually at home it was a lot different, Uh, and and so I was disciplined severely on a regular basis, there were times my dad would be like, boy, go get the paddle, why? I just figured you did something, all right, I don't know what it is, but you probably did something, go get the paddle, my mom, we hated when mom came in the room with the paddle because mom's strike zone was like lower hamstring to like mid-back. And she would just swing away until she got you on the butt three times. All right? Didn't matter how many times she hit everything else, she was swinging until she got the butt three times. And like, it, was like, it was one of those like golf swings. Like she was, We had a bunk bed. We had to grab the top bunk, all right? And she was trying to lift us onto the top bunk. As she swung, as she, she swung the, 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 the paddle, her imaginary golf club. And so she had a terrible strike zone. It was bad. And um, so, yeah, so I was severely disciplined growing up. But, but here's the thing. I'm not sure I can remember a time where I did not deserve it. It did. It may, maybe I didn't do quite what my, my siblings had said I did. Maybe they embellished it a little bit. But I had still done something that was deserving of punishment. All right? Like we had, you know, maybe you know, maybe I didn't rip my sister's hair out, but maybe I did pull it. You know, like w- w- whatever it was, I had done something to deserve discipline. The psalmist here has done something to deserve discipline discipline, to deserve grave discipline. He says, the Lord disciplined me severely. And we read that, well, that sounds kind of harsh. That sounds kind of mean. We we, we keep reading, it says, but did not give me over to death. And we have to read this and understand that this this is a sign of God's chesed, of his steadfast, enduring love and mercy. That he did not give him over to his enemy. That he did not give the psalmist over to death. but he disciplined him and then saved and delivered. Him. That this is mercy, that this is grace, that this is love. Sometimes as parents, we, we, we discipline because we love, because we want to correct the behavior. God will discipline us because he loves us, because he wants us to do better, because He wants to correct that wrong behavior, but He wants to correct that sinful behavior, and so He disciplines us. But it is mercy, it is grace that He does not give us over to death. And so we give Him thanks. This last large section of of, of verses, um, beginning in, in verse 19, the the psalmist says, Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. And so we believe that this last section of the psalm was, was sung by people as they entered into Jerusalem on their way to the temple. They were going through the gates uh, at, at Passover or at different times to go to the temple to worship God and to make sacrifices to the Lord, to give Him thanks. And, and so they are singing songs of, of thanksgiving to the Lord for all that He has done, for delivering them. From their enemies. Verse 22 is a verse that is often quoted in uh, the New Testament in reference to to Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Jesus himself quotes verse 22 and verse 23 to the chief priests and the elders in the temple in, in Matthew 21 42. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. Jesus is that cornerstone for us. That the people rejected, and yet God has used that cornerstone. He used that stone to build uh, as the foundation for His kingdom. The foundation for our deliverance, and it says the Lord has done this. This is the Lord's doing. It is the Lord's doing that Jesus was given over as that sacrifice for us. And it says it is wondrous in our sight. It is amazing to see. It is amazing to behold. And so to think of of Jesus singing that part of this hymn as he is getting ready to go to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray to God and to be arrested and to go be crucified and sacrificed. It is wondrous in our sight. The psalmist calls the people to remember the works of the Lord. How He has answered them. That He has become their salvation. That that all of this, that all of the goodness in their life, all all of the the salvation, all of the deliverance is the Lord's doing. That the Lord has, has made this day and He has made His light to shine upon them that He has worked and moved greatly in their lives, individually and corporately. When we read verse 24, it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. our, Our response is to be one of joy. The, the, the response of the, the, the singers of this psalm, their response was one of joy, of rejoicing in this day because the Lord has made it, because the Lord has ordained it for us. And so let us rejoice. Let us be glad in this day. You'll notice, however, it does not say whether this will be a good day or whether this will be a bad day. It does not say that this is the best day of your life that this is the best day ever. We had a, a, a kid, a student in South Carolina that every day, every day you saw him be like, hey, how was today? Best day ever? Like every day was just the best day ever. It just kept getting better and better and better and better. The psalmist doesn't say that this is the best day ever, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. He simply says the Lord has made this day. The Lord has ordained this day. So let us be glad. Let us rejoice in what the Lord has done. Let us respond with gladness and joy in our hearts. Verse 25 is is a reminder that there are new foes out there and that we are always to be ready. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. Just because You've been delivered once from your enemies just because you've overcome your enemies once does not mean that you will never have to be delivered or overcome again we are going to go through hardship we're going to go through seasons of trial and difficulty and just because you've been brought through one does not suddenly mean it is happily ever after and so we need to be ready we need to be prepared for those enemies when they come, and the thing we need to be prepared to do first and foremost is to call on the name of the Lord and to ask Him for deliverance and salvation from our enemies. Verse 27 uh, likely refers to the people, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, they, they would go outside of the city, to the there would be these young willow trees, and they would cut the branches off of these willow trees. And they would go back to the temple and they would place and stack them uh, around the altar as a, as a sign of, of, of celebration uh, uh, at, at the Feast of, of Tabernacles. And then they would process around the, the altar once each day in, in worship and in celebration, uh, singing thanks to God for all that He has done. And So again, this is a reminder to, to give God thanks for what He has done, to give God thanks for salvation and for deliverance in our lives. And the psalmist closes with verse 29, and it's, it's, a, it's a repeat of the very first verse in this psalm. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And so he, again, he's reminding, he's challenging the people to give thanks to God because God is good, because his steadfast love is forever. The truth is, we, we need to be reminded regularly, don't we? Because we're forgetful. I at least am forgetful. You just ask my wife. I, I forget things all the time, all right? We, we had to get new keys after vacation this summer, like new car keys, because I lost my keys in Florida and could not find them. We tore my parents' house apart multiple times. Uh, we tore all of our vehicles apart. I'd had, I had attempted to go golfing with a buddy of mine down there, and we got one hole in, and just the bottom dropped. And so I was like, well, maybe I left him in his truck. Couldn't find him. They're, 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 no, they're not. In, they're nowhere. I feel like, no idea. But we, so we had to go get new keys. I lose my phone all the time. Because I'll be doing something. Like right now, it's in my back pocket. I know it's there. But it, I'll be doing something, and I'll be like, this is a logical place for me to set my phone down. I'm going to remember that it's here. And then two minutes later, where's my phone. And, and it's always on silent. Like, I always keep my phone on silent. I started doing that in South Carolina. The, whenever I would preach, I had students that would text or call me as I'm up front preaching. And so just, I just, no, it's on silent all the time. And, and so I'm like, where in the world is my phone? And so thankfully, like with technology now, my watch, I can just I can do a little thing where it'll ping my phone and it'll, my phone will ring out. The problem is I have to be in earshot of it whenever I do that. You know, so so that, that's helpful for me, for someone who is forgetful. But we are a forgetful people. We regularly forget what the Lord has done for us. Look, I, I have a, a constant 24-7 reminder of God's goodness. In my, my artificial vow, it literally ticks in my head all the time as my heart beats. And so if it stops ticking, guys, please call 911, I'm dying. Like literally, not, not figuratively literally, literally, literally I'm dying. But I have a constant reminder in my head of God's goodness, of his grace and mercy, and yet I regularly forget I regularly forget what he's done for me, and so we need this reminder. We need to constantly be reminded to give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done with us. He's blessed us so, so much, so greatly. So what does all of this mean for us? First, we need to always give thanks. Paul tells us in Philippians to rejoice always, to always be Joyful. It doesn't mean that everything is great. It doesn't mean that everything is going well. It doesn't mean everything is hunky-dory. Joy is not the same as happiness. But we are to be joyful for all that the Lord has done. Every day has been made by the hand and the mind of God, and it is as He has willed it to be. So trust in His grace. Trust in His providence. Trust in His goodness and sovereignty and rest there find a refuge in those truths. Second, remember that God is good always and in all things. We may not know or understand everything. We may not know or how or why something is going to work out, but we are to remember that God is good. So think on God's character. Think on what He's done and remember His goodness. Along with that, remember that God is always faithful, that He always keeps his word, that his love and mercy are enduring forever. Fourth, when you are surrounded by your enemies, and you will be at some point, the first response should not be to, how do I fix this? Our first response should be to cry out to God, to know that he will hear us. Fifth, we are to recognize God's work. It's easy to think that we have done something ourselves and not acknowledged Him. That we've fixed it on our own. Don't fall into that trap. Don't believe that lie. Recognize God's work. And then remember and declare God's work. There are those of us that will encounter people that need to hear how God has worked and moved in our lives and how He has delivered us. You may have gone through something in your life. God may have put you through something in your life so that you can minister to someone down the line who is going through something similar. And so be prepared to remember and declare God's goodness to you. And then remember, just because you've been delivered once, it does not mean that there will never be difficulty or hardship again. Some of you will get this reference. Some of you may not. Everybody in the first service did we're a lot more like little Timmy than we would like to care to admit. We fall down wells all the time. Little Timmy, Lassie, you guys, Lassie, ready? Little Timmy was con little Timmy didn't need to be let outside. Little Timmy was not outdoor trained. And he needed a leash on him. Because every episode, he was falling down a well, he was getting trapped in something, caught by whatever, and last he was constantly having to go out and save little Timmy. Here's the thing. We fall down wells and are trapped in mine shafts and surrounded by snakes and enemies all the time. And we need God to deliver us. We need His rescue. So be on look out and always be prepared to call out to God for help. Lastly, remember that Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. That He is the foundation of our salvation. That it was God's good pleasure, that it was God's work to sacrifice His Son for us so that we might have victory, that we might have deliverance over the ultimate enemy that we might have eternal life and so maybe that's you today you're sitting and say look i don't have that victory i'm not able to look and triumph over my enemy because i don't know jesus and so in just a minute shad's going to come up there's going to be some some people over here by these doors who want to pray with you who want to talk to you about that how you can receive that salvation in christ jesus and so come and talk to them. Come and talk to us. Maybe you need to come to the altar and you need to, to give thanks to God for all that He has done for you. Maybe, maybe you, like me this week, need to come and ask for forgiveness for, for forgetting His goodness and not giving thanks to Him. Maybe you just need to declare in a loud voice that the Lord is good and His love endures forever. So whatever you need to do, whatever the Spirit leads you to do, Please feel free to do that during this time of of, of invitation to pray with me.